Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, a group of intellectually disabled men take an unusual detour into the snowy mountains and never return. What or who led them to their fate? We'll review the podcast, Yuba County 5. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. <laughs> That's that, my Toby impression. That was you know, not a good Toby impression. That, he said that like 300 times we could pull a clip of him yes. just saying that. Oh my God. We could just paste him into the podcast like he's here. <laughs> yeah, oh right. my gosh. Uh, tell everybody, hey, in case you missed Monday's show, Toby is not with us because he tested positive for COVID. He's resting at home and it doesn't feel great, but fortunately he was triple vaxxed and, you know, our fingers are crossed that he won't need any special medical intervention no. and he can just be cynical and grumpy at home like he always is. We've all seen the guns. He's we've probably going to be fine. We've seen the guns. And I want to say this had nothing to do with him coming to the Lit Fest in Exeter with yeah. like all the people that he was hanging out with when he came to Exeter. Um, nothing to do with coming to Exeter, Toby. Um, I hope not because I was there too. <laughs> I got to tell you guys, after I was like, if I'm ever going to get it, it was because of this. And I tested myself twice this past week to make sure. Really? Uh, yeah. Why didn't you tell me that? Because I was also there. Well, no, Kevin was there are... for the more crowded part on Friday. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty crowded. Oh, when you were lying I, on the floor? I, yeah. Anyway. When he had his death scene. Okay, we're talking about, but that's going to be like featured in the after show. People can catch on Patreon, right? Yeah. So if yes. you want to hear more about that, get on Patreon. It was on this week's after show. All the goings on at the Exeter Lit Fest. But we have other things to talk about, right? Yes, Kevin. But first, before we do that, what is coming up on next Monday's podcast? Toby's going to love this. We're going to be talking about the NBC series, The Thing About Pam. We are? We are. Wow. Well, we have a lot to talk about, about the podcast we're reviewing on this show. So I think we should get started. Should we? Let's do it. 
Let's begin. The first day I thought, well, maybe they're just doing something. And then it started dawning on everybody, well, something's not right. Somehow that car winds up an hour and a half off course in the Plumas National Forest. In February 1978, five men with either intellectual disabilities or mental health issues went missing after a basketball game in Chico, California. Their car was discovered later on a high mountain road far away from their anticipated destination of Yuba County. I made a comment that was quoted in the newspaper that said this case is bizarre as hell. What possibly could have happened? The search was unsuccessful because authorities assumed the men traveled down the snowy mountain. Instead, they trekked up into deeper snow and thicker wilderness. By the summer, it became clear where the group had gone, but what happened to them in those months remains a troubling mystery. What were they doing there? To this day, we don't know. They just said, no, we're not going to do any more searching. And that was the end of it. And we sat back for 40 years and waited. The seven-episode podcast, Yuba County 5, from Mopac Audio, recalls the missing persons case that still haunts Northern California. It asks the question of why the men took the detour and whether someone with bad intentions sent them into the wilderness to meet their fate. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Yuba County 5. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Laura Bricker, you sent me a really interesting note. Was that this is like another Maura Murray podcast. Why do you think it's like the Maura Murray case? I just, I saw so many right from the beginning similarities in this as I was listening to this where it's like, okay, they were driving somewhere and they were supposed to be somewhere and then they they were out in the wilderness and it was bad weather and they weren't found and something nefarious happened. And and, in Maura Murray, we've said a lot like not to be like disrespectful or unkind to whatever happened to her, but like she probably just went out in the woods, froze to death and got eaten by the animals. Like- you know, that's not and unkind. It's not unkind. It's actually probably what happened. So in this case, I feel like when I started listening to this podcast, I was like, ooh, there is a great mystery afoot. And then I'm like, no, actually, they just got lost, drove up a snowy road. There was five of them with all varying levels of intellectual challenges. And they wandered into the woods and some of them made it to a cabin and they died in the cold. And I feel like people are looking for like some greater like in the Maura Murray case, like there was all like all the conspiracy theories and the guy in the basement and we're going to go search it. And the same thing in this case, like it's a tragedy, but that's just what it is. It's a tragedy. And most likely they drove up the road. They got stuck. They couldn't figure how to get out, even though there was all these things. Well, the engine was still going. Well, yeah. And then they went and wandered off, got disoriented, ended up in the cabin and died. And so it was the same sort of thing where, like, with Maura Murray, the people that are, like, obsessed with that case have all these internet discussion groups and forums. And if you look up this case, it's the same thing. Like, people are like, it's the biggest mystery ever. What happened to the Yuba County Five? And I'm like, I don't want to sound mean, but I don't think it's that big of a mystery. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's where I saw, like, a lot of parallels in that, like, it's the same sort of thing where, yeah, there's some things that are weird, and you can certainly, like... If you stand back and, like, get your conspiracy theory hat on, find some things that you can whip up into, like, this must have happened and it didn't make sense. But at the end of the day, there's probably 
a simple explanation. If Toby was here, he would say, oh, this is like the theory of Occam's razor that like the most, what is it, simple explanation is usually the correct one, even though it's, isn't that? The most likely explanation is probably true or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, Kevin, you do have, you sent me a note about an upside of this podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, for what I like the host, Shannon McGarvey. I thought she did a good job with what she was given. I think it might have improved the podcast a bit if there was some more of her in it. Like, maybe you hear her asking questions of the different people uh, who contributed, maybe even visiting the site. It usually doesn't turn the needle uh, a lot when that happens in a podcast, but it might have helped it a bit here. She definitely comes off as likable and competent. I know that she says up front that they worked four years on this. and I How? Can't, I, well, I can't tell if it's four years because it took a long time or because no. they put a lot of time into it. The story itself, I think, is actually really interesting. It, it, unfortunately, it takes until episode five, the end of episode four, the cliffhanger, and get into episode five, where suddenly you're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting because it has that yellow jackets kind of twist where they're lost, everyone thinks they're dead, but meantime, at least some of them are alive in a cabin and have been there for weeks waiting to be rescued. And that is the kind of thing, like, you know, once you hear that, like, wow, what went on? But as far as advancing the journalism of this particular story, I don't feel like that happened much. There was a moment at the end where they come up with a new document that says that somebody thought that this was homicide. They don't really, like, flesh out why that would be other than the fact that somebody has, you know, there's a document, you know, proclaiming that this is what they're investigating, but we don't really get much more of it. So I think the podcast was about an interesting topic, but I don't know if it really advanced anything to the story that other podcasts who were talking about it as a one-off weekly thing have done. So you said a couple things there. Yeah. One is you said the podcast doesn't get interesting until episode five. That is 71% of the way through the podcast, first of all. Second, um, you said that the podcast says it took four years to make, right? I believe they said that, yes. Does it sound like a four-year investigation to you? Or does it sound like the podcast just took four years to make? Like, there's two, there's a difference there, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always, you know, the two years of the COVID kind of like throws will, everybody's time I say, off. But I, I have a tip for podcasters out there in the world. Do not tell me how long your investigation or podcast took unless there is a reason to tell me that. Like, if there was a delay because it took a very long time to get someone to talk to you or because it took you a long time to get somewhere or because literally there were proceedings that took a very long time. This wasn't the Trojan horse affair. No. (laughs) This was literally like it took you a long time because of COVID and maybe like it took a long time to make. That is not a reason to tell me how long it took something to make because this was not... The product yeah, if of something you that choose like to put that out there, then you should show the Deliver seams. Deliver something, correct. Yeah, show the seams. Yes. So we're going to talk more about the case, but there is an elephant in the room programmatically on this podcast that I cannot- I don't think it's that much of an elephant, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> that I just cannot not talk about. I cannot not talk about it. It is one of the strangest things I have ever heard in a podcast. So for those of you listening who have not yet listened to this podcast, at the beginning of almost every episode, there is a vignette, a recreation of a scene from this case redone by actors. 
the phone rang from the other room. <sighs> Never fails. Hello? There was silence. Hello? I know where the missing men are. Then the caller hung up. What's super strange to me, aside from the fact that these vignettes are done very poorly, is that in almost every case, except I think but two of them, later in the episode, we hear from the real people who actually experienced that thing who could have just told us about that scene instead of just us hearing that crazy, stupid vignette. It is insane. My favorite one, for instance, my favorite by mean the worst one, <laughs> when the man discovers the body in the trailer and in the vignette, he walks out of the trailer and his father is like, What's gotten into you, boy? All the color had drained from Roger's face. What, you see a ghost? Roger tried to get the words out, but stammered. There's, 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 there's. Spit it out, Roger. What's wrong? There's, there's a... Roger, what happened? There's, there's a... There's a dead man in that trailer. And then later in the podcast, he's like... My dad made a joke. What did you do? See a ghost? Because I apparently was white as a sheet. And I, you know, and I'm stuttering. There's a dead guy there. Kevin, why? Why, 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 why? Why do this? Why? Well, I, you know, part of me thinks, well, they're thinking this is the podcast equivalent of something you would see on Investigation Discovery, where they do a recreation. Nobody, as far as I know, has done this in a podcast, or at least done it in a way that is you good know, me, yeah. or makes Look, sense. Look, I hate to sum up the whole podcast by what is an odd artistic choice, but the idea to do a dramatic recreation in the opening scenes will probably go down as one of the most misguided ideas that we have heard in over 500 reviews. <laughs> but I, I want to know, like, who was in the room <laughs> when they're having the production meeting pushing for this? Who was pushing back and saying... You know, do we really need that? Uh, if we do it, should we maybe like do it better? You should know? we get different actors to do it each time or the same guy to do it yeah, each time? Yeah, I mean, no one is going to win an Ambie Award for these recreations. Certainly not the, you know, <laughs> the hunter whose dog found the bone. Damn it, drop it. Now. The man kicked the dog's hind legs and grabbed it by the collar. The dog cried out and dropped the bone. Hey, what the hell are you doing? You can complain that it journalistically... That it was a poor decision, but I mean, just entertainment-wise, they weren't well done. They were, they were pretty laughable. You started looking and, forward to them after a while. You know, there was, <laughs> it was like, I wonder if it's going to be another one. And <laughs> there was a thought that like another episode was coming up, and they weren't going to have that. And I was like, oh no, it's so, it's so bad, it's good. I just think that was misguided, and I'm not going to write off the entire podcast because of that reason. But that was not smart. I liked the one where the guy was having a heart attack myself. What do you mean you liked it? Well, because it was just so bad. Like, I was listening to it, and I was just, like, I was, like, walking. I was on, like, on a walk around town. I was like, oh, my. Like, it was just so over the top with, like, oh. Like, and, and all these. Help me. Help me. He fell out of the car. He waved his arms and shouted. I'm sick. It was all adrenaline at that point. Please. But the headlights suddenly went out. <laughs> and the people scattered. 
I, I enjoyed it for just the absurdity of how ridiculous it sounded. But at the same time, I'm like, there was a way to tell this story and that wasn't it. Toby was the first one to get to episode two. <laughs> Laura, you have the comment from Toby, don't you? What did he say to us? Yeah, I have the direct communication. He says, episode two of Yuba has one of the cringiest sequences of anything we've ever reviewed. <laughs> We're like, oh, I can't wait for this. So Kevin and I, uh, full disclosure, started doing our own reenactments in our house. Oh, um, like, I, and by the way, we are going to talk about the story, I yeah. swear. But like, I was like, so Kevin gets out of bed and goes to the kitchen and realizes there's no more coffee. Damn it, no more coffee. And then he takes a mug out of the cabinet. (laughs) Like, literally, that's how bad it is. Yeah. I think we just agree. These recreations, just a terrible, terrible addition to this podcast. Unfortunately, it's going to be the thing that we remember. It'll always be in our hearts. (laughs) Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. So you guys are doing the business section, but I I wanted to like act it out with some sound effects. Can I help? Hold on, wait. (laughs) Help me. God damn it. Okay. (laughs) I'm... Dying. Oh, God. Have you seen a ghost? <laughs> Damn it, boy. If you listen to Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. <laughs> Coming up soon on Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, Laura is talking about all of her adventures during Exeter Lit Fest. By the way, how does Laura Bricker promote her book? She gets her whole <laughs> fucking town to put on a literary festival. She's a hustler, man. Yeah. She's a fucking hustler. Also, we have Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Uh, Toby was able to record this before he became ill, although you do hear him sniffling no, quite a bit. before he knew he before was really ill. Before he knew he was ill. He was ill. Yeah. B- before he knew it was a real thing, yes. So the book is called The Library Book, mm-hmm. and uh, the cast of characters talking about the book include Janet Varney, Dr. Shiloh from L.A. Not So Confidential, and Sarah D. Bunting. By the way, I just realized that uh, two out of those three guests, they, they were all substitutes yes. at one point or another They've been for crime writers. Panelists, yeah. Yes. yeah, if we had uh, known ahead of time, we could have forced somebody else to listen to the Huba County Five yes. and talk about it. True. I mean, we all know as we heard from Monday's show that Toby canceled on us for like two minutes before we started taping. Well, well, but we whatever, that, yeah. it's not his fault. It's not his fault. And we are doing a great job without him. 
I think. Yes. <laughs> so, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Selena Shelton and Ann Rogers. <gasps> Bless you. And we're all throwing our arms around Anne and her family this week uh, yeah. going through some things. And we are so happy that she is part of the Crime Writers on Family. Yes, we are. Anne, I've been thinking about you all the time. And just so you know, you can reach out to us anytime you'd like. So thanks, Anne. Thanks, Selena. And thus ends the business section. The business section. So we've spent a lot of time now talking about the formatics of the podcast. Now let's talk a little bit about the story, which Laura said earlier reminds her of the Maura Murray case. But there's also some elements of the story that are actually interesting. I mean, Toby did send me a note earlier saying the podcast is, quote, (laughs) well-intentioned, which I do think it is. I mean, it does Mm -hmm. take a lot of, uh, I don't want to use the word pains, but it does take care to give us context about all five of these men and their circumstances. The sourcing is great. We hear from their families. We hear about each of their personal backstories and how they ended up in the program and playing basketball together and why they ended up, the victimology, so to speak, of how they ended up in the situation uh, where they ended up, you know, being the Yuba County Five. Kevin, what do you think about that aspect of the storytelling? Yeah, I mean, I do appreciate they took pains to give context to the word retarded rather than just scrubbing it and pretending that it wasn't used. I mean, it's all throughout the tape of people talking about what was going on back then and today. I mean, more than it just being sort of historically accurate usage, the problem is not that 40 years later the term is a slur. It's that it was used as a catch-all phrase to lump people of different abilities together, which created misconceptions for authorities, for searchers, for the media. That was what was problematic about it. The word retarded and any of its iterations is now part of a largely taboo and pejorative vernacular. But throughout much of the 20th century, the term mentally retarded or mental retardation was a medical diagnosis given to people with intellectual disabilities. I talked to his doctor about it and his doctor said he he was retarded. I do think that they certainly bent over backwards to try to give these five people their dignity and to, you know, provide context as to who they were and how highly functional that they actually were. Yeah. So, Laura, there are a couple of suppositions that are made in this show by people that I find astounding. And Mm -hmm. this isn't the podcast's fault. I think it's, you know, I think people involved in the case, family members, uh, sources, you know, people who have been thinking about this a long time have come up with theories that I just find hard to believe. You know, one of them is, for instance, you know, one of these men has schizophrenia and he is medicated and his family says he has not had any symptoms for a long time because he's been on his medication. And one of the theories is that, you know, after they get into this accident and they're lost in the woods for a while, that his symptoms started to take over and maybe something happened and his family's like, no, 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 that couldn't have happened because he hadn't had any symptoms before that. And all I could think of was, but he wasn't on his medication anymore yeah. after days or weeks in the woods. Didn't you feel like the podcast didn't do a good job challenging those kinds of theories? Yeah. Well, I, I yes. Obviously, it started from the point of view of the families of the men who went missing in the woods. And, you know, and I can understand there was sympathy to what they went through, but you have that case where they're like, no, that, that couldn't have happened. And they're like, well, it's just, you know, the police didn't do their jobs and they didn't go out and look and this and that. And there was a lot 
of claims of, you know, investigations that weren't followed through on and, and, and clues that weren't properly noticed at the time and things. And, you know, and a lot of this stuff was like, it's the stuff that people, I hate to say, but they, they, like people say when they're in a situation like that and they're grasping at anything to make sense of something where they don't have an answer about what happened to their loved one. But like, where was the flip side of that? Like the flip side of that, which is like, like you said, Rebecca, like, yeah, this guy has now been off his medications. Like, you know, there was the, not to like draw the comparison, but I'm thinking of like yellow jackets that we watched earlier this year. And there was one of the characters in that who went off their medications and um, started having. He just ran some, out. Yeah. Ran out. Well, he probably because, didn't bring him with him, but if he, yeah, even if he had. Because yeah. they're out in the woods and, and same thing. So this, you know, so, and, and you saw in that case, you know, how that played out. So part of what was frustrating for me about this podcast is that, we're hearing it from the point of view of the people that need closure, that need an explanation, the people that are most affected by this case and by the deaths of these young men. But their telling of it because they're so frustrated all these years later is like basically throwing out these conspiracy theories that don't really have any basis. Then and that don't end, actually make sense. They're conspiracy theories to me like don't actually make I, yeah. I love a conspiracy theory. I mean, well, me just too. to be cheesy like I do. But they're conspiracy theories they don't make sense. I mean, there's another conspiracy theory where like somebody planned a murder where they're going to take five men and send them the wrong way and then say, go up there, boys. And I'm like, yeah, that is a fucking terrible way to yeah. plan a murder. It is much more likely that they drove this way and decided, hey, some of them are going this way and some of them are going to go this way. Like that is actually much more likely. Hey, We're let's, let's split, split up and up. go for help. Exactly. Yeah. I will say, though, the podcast did push back on that a little bit. You remember they talked to an ER doctor about people who present with psychotic tendencies or you know people who like say they're on their meds but they aren't and things like that. That could happen. I think though that they probably were more trying to defend against the insinuation that Gary who was the one who had the mental health issue, uh, that, that he could have influenced the other four and that it was his evil idea to take them into the woods for some reason known only to him. I, I don't believe that. I can see why people would start going, eh, well, who would have the... I mean, the fact is that the guys went up the hill instead of going down the mountain. You know, you're right, that is peculiar. But they weren't going in circles, right? If you If you get lost you will start moving in concentric circles. They went straight up the mountain to that cabin because they were following the track of that bobcat, right, that that did the path. It looks like a road. Have you ever seen the track of a bobcat? It's big. It literally big. looks yeah. like a road. Right. A lot of us would say, oh, no, we need to go down. For whatever reason, they got it in their head that they should go up, and that's where they went, and they, you know, it seems like two along the way didn't make it. At least two, maybe three made it to the cabin, and that's where, like, I thought this got really interesting. Uh, but because Gary seemed to have, for lack of a better term, an intellectual advantage over his four friends and that he was never found again, that it leaves the idea that maybe it was all part of a nefarious plot, you know, with no particular motive to do it. It just, it, it, it's, again, one of those conspiracy things. It just doesn't add up. See, to me, even the idea that two of them didn't make it, that even to me, they don't, there's no way they can know that. All of them could have made it. And then the two of them could have come back down a day later or two yeah. days later to say, like, we're going to try to go for help. And then they didn't make it then. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, there's yeah. no way you yeah. can piece together the timing of 
anything with this. The only thing you can piece together with any accuracy is that the man that was found died and that his friend left and wrapped him in the sheet and then also died. That is the only thing you can piece together with accuracy. Yeah, right? that was Ted, and that is the growth of his beard. Correct. That was that and was like a super interesting. Clip. And then the other man's toes were found there. I mean, it's yeah. literally the only thing. But the other two men who like to stay together, everything else is a guess. Everything else is a guess. And what makes me so sad is when you hear people putting together stories about men who are dead, about what they would have done or what they wouldn't have done, and when you hear theories of a crime. So the Gary thing to me is very interesting because let's just switch that for a second. Gary was put is always put in this nefarious frame. And there are reasons for that because he was a sexual predator on the one hand. Mm -hmm. We also get painted this picture of him that he had this like severe mental illness and that he did commit some crimes in order to avoid going back into the military, to be back in prison. We hear that the time that we know he committed the sexual assault was literally so he could be arrested so he wouldn't have to go back into the military. He also had a history of walking for hundreds of miles, too. So he has a very complicated mental health situation. We know that. We know all of that. And we know that there's these witnesses, this witness who saw him in a bar, right? So let's just like say for a second, what if he did survive? That to me does not mean he murdered these other four men. It means maybe he survived and is walking around without his medication in the world, right? That could mean that, right? At that point. I'm not saying today, but at that point. There are so many things it could be. And to me, what's upsetting about this story and what's upsetting about the podcast is the podcast just lets people tell these stories and never asks the questions that the three of us are asking on this on our podcast right now. Laura, what do you think about the guy who had the heart attack? Now, setting aside the Burns and Allen radio hour that went on. Oh, goddamn it, my heart. Wait, aside from my that, that guy, his story is fucking shady as hell. He has a heart attack. I mean, why he's there and that he has yeah, a heart attack. So he's and- like, he says he just like accidentally because of this fluke thing ends up spending the night near where the car was found the what was it the mercury montego was yeah. it mercury mercury yeah. montego that's and nice that guy was driving say. i think a volkswagen and, bug yeah. right yeah yeah and he drove up there he had a cabin he was going to go check the snowpack in advance of a ski trip but they were like by the way he never actually like went skiing so that was weird and then he gets stuck in the snow he tries to free the car he has a heart attack and he goes back into the car, keeps the engine running. By the way, lucky for him, he doesn't get accidentally like, you know, the exhaust pipe clogged up with the yeah. snow, with the exhaust that he's running all night long. That was a bizarre, you know, and, and everyone's like, ooh, that's suspicious. And I'm like, it is suspicious and it is odd, but I guess I don't see enough other pieces of the puzzle that fit in with that to make me think that it's actually related to these boys going missing. No, I mean, if you were super cynical, you could say, he led them or happened to find them and put sent them in the wrong direction, knowing yeah. it was bad, and then tried to get out of there. 
And then when he was stuck, he had to come up with some elaborate story for why he couldn't leave. But then we also have the lady at the store who sees the posters and is like, oh, yeah, I recognize those kids. Oh, yeah, I saw. So she's like saying she sees them after they go missing. Again, it's like the Maura Murray thing because there's been a lot of sightings. There's been a lot. So you're like, what to believe in all of this? But the only good thing about the guy with the heart attack is it provided like perfect fodder for that reenactment. (laughs) But I have a question for you because... Is it better than the phone call? I'm just going to say that the reenactments are so bad. Kevin Flynn, your dramatic death at the end of the Death by Chocolate fundraiser last weekend was by far (laughs) a better reenactment than all of these combined. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank the Academy for inviting me back. But this is the whole thing. So here we are, right? We are talking about this podcast and like... We can only talk about the things that like weren't good about it and that they didn't. So to me, the upsetting thing was, and Toby sent this note. He said, this podcast was well-intentioned. I completely agree. I agree too, yeah. It was well-intentioned. It told a story that I had never heard before and all that stuff, right? And I learned a lot about a story. The issue for me is there are all these crazy theories about it, but what the podcast didn't do is advance anything by saying like, hey, let's challenge this because it's very likely that this isn't true and it's very likely that this isn't true and it's because it just let it lie. Let so many things lie. Mm. And the absurdity of some of these theories, I mean, there was one in particular that I said to you, Kevin, after one of my walks and I was like, the absurdity that they would think that this happened that somebody would like lure men up, like the the absurdity and that the podcast wouldn't even just address in any way, like, okay, it's very unlikely that that's the case. However, that they would just let it lie. We can't let conspiracy theories float if we're going to be this well-intentioned. And the people, the sourcing is so great. I, I, it felt just like untied threads, you know what I mean? Just sort of hanging out there. At the same time, there's a, there is a tremendous amount of dignity at the same time. So I felt this weird balance. Victims' families, these men whose stories are told really well. I don't know. I just found myself in this conundrum feeling like good and bad and then laughing. I don't know. It was, it was not great. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if it really advanced the story, but it's the funny thing. It's, it's we, we like talking about it, right? I mean, I think that was probably the greatest thing. The three of us kind of going, yeah, what about this? What about that? That part was really interesting, but I don't know if this podcast did anything to, you know, move the ball down the field. Yeah. Well, I think that the thing about this story is it is odd that these guys all went off. And it, it you know, my perspective is it's probably just a horrible tragedy and a series of like unfortunate events that ended up with them all, you know, except for the one who's still MIA being found dead in the woods. But I feel like there was a different way to tell it that would have added more suspense and tension to the story and also perhaps taken a different angle. You know, it was just told in a way that I just felt like was, you know, it started and and went through this character profile of every person that was involved because, you know, and I, and I understand the host said, you know, I wanted to put the the spotlight on the people that were involved in this. But what that did for me is it slowed the action. And I didn't feel like I was engaged in the beginning of this podcast. I felt once we got into the end where we had more about the disappearance and what happened, and I felt like that was a more interesting part of the story. Um, So, yeah. Okay, so Laura, can I ask you one final question? 
I guess so. There is one thing I think I agree with that did come out of this podcast. The search for Ted and Jack and Jackie and Bill, I do think there was some negligence there with the searchers and the search. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it was also a long time ago and searches were maybe conducted in a different way. And it was, you know, so I, I, and I understand that from the family's point of view, there was a lot of frustration. Like, why didn't they act sooner? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they go out here? So yeah, there was definitely something to that, but would the end result have been different? I don't know. Um, Kevin, I mean, certainly the guy that was out there who didn't shave for however many months might've been found with his unopened can of tuna. I don't know. Kevin, your thoughts on the search? Yeah, I mean, I think that they they made too many assumptions about which direction they would go. I mean, I know the weather was an issue and whatnot, and that the family says they saw tracks going up the mountain, uh, and no one else did. It's it's hard to verify that that was actually the case. But I mean, if somebody says that they caught searchers just hanging out having beers, then they're not really taking it seriously. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Okay, so let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the podcast, Yuba County 5. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Unfortunately, this is a really tragic story about these boys that went missing and the majority of them died. One is still missing. The telling of this story just didn't do it for me. I felt like the narrative pace in terms of how the story was told and the order things were told was not as easy to follow with the action happening later in the story. And I just honestly can't get past these like dramatic reenactments that were just so fake that I just, I don't understand how somebody that was making this didn't listen to this and be like, these sound ridiculous. Why did that happen? Because we had good parts of this podcast in terms of the case that we could have talked about, but all we talked about were those stupid reenactments. So I'm sorry, it's a thumbs down. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Yuba County 5? Wait a minute, this text message coming in, Toby Ball says... Well-intentioned, but thumbs down. Thumbs down emoji. Kevin Flynn, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Yuba County 5? I'm going to go sideways on this. I can't give it a thumbs up because I don't think it did much to advance stuff. And man, that was a fatal flaw to put those kinds of reenactments. It's one thing when you're putting in sound effects to sweeten 
stuff that that really kind of compromises a lot of what you're hearing. But those really bad, overwrought reenactments were just unnecessary. The reason why I don't give it a thumbs down, though, is because I do think that they picked a really interesting story, and in and of itself, it really grabbed me, and I did kind of want to know more about it. But this is a story that has been covered by the crime junkies and the murder merlots and all that stuff. If you if you Google Yuba County 5 or Yuba City 5, it's been on a lot of podcasts. I don't know if this really brings it seven episodes farther along, but I don't want to totally trash it because I do feel like there is some good stuff here, but just not enough for me to tell everybody to go out and listen. Yeah, I'm a thumbs down. I want to hear more podcasts from this host, but not from the other producers of this <laughs> podcast. Does that make sense? Shannon needs to get a divorce. Yeah, Shannon needs to work. I don't want to say she needs to work somewhere else. I just think the team needs to rethink the way they are making shows. I don't want to fire anybody. I don't want to be like, oh, these people. I just want to say the decisions perhaps need to be made differently. I don't want to be a snob. I don't think every podcast needs to sound like a public radio podcast. That's bullshit. Like there are some really great commercial podcast outlets making really great stuff that sounds dynamic and that includes a lot of sound elements that we love. Campside and Pineapple and even Wondery now is coming out with some really good stuff that includes things like reenactments and sound design and stuff that does not uh, take away from but adds to the story. This is not how to do it. So, um, yeah, I really, really like Shannon. I really like the intentions of this. The parts that were done well, the interviews, the tape, the backstory, the family stuff, liked all of that. But I can't give this podcast a thumbs up because it did not challenge any of the conspiratorial part of this story. We didn't get, you know, any questioning that was new besides the questioning that had already been asked a million times about this case. I had never heard of this case before. So when I heard the podcast, I looked it up. And everything I looked up matched everything I heard in the podcast. And that plus the reenactment stuff we talked about in our review, uh, I can't do it. I can't give it a thumbs up. I'm really sorry, Shannon. I'm rooting for you, but I cannot give this podcast a thumbs up. All right. We should probably end it there. But Laura Bricker, before we end the show, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat this week. Finally, we've had some dogs lately. Uh, this cat comes Nothing to us from- Nothing wrong with dogs, Laura. Well, I know, but I love I love cats, Rebecca. Love cats. <laughs> so this one is uh, Anna Breck, and the picture is her cat laying on my book, and it says, Edison is pandering for cat of the week. Yeah. By sleeping on Laura Brooker's book, I tried to move it out of his spot, and he got upset. So- Dear listeners out there, I've been bumped down to the number three bestseller in Exeter in the month of March, and I need to rebound. So <laughs> don't forget about Dead on Deadline. What a hustler. And what I a hustler. will sign your book because I need to come back up. Wow. What a hustler, Laura Bricker. <laughs> if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and find out how they can buy the first in your Piper Green series before the second book comes out, how can yes. they find you there? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And Kevin Flynn, if folks will reach out to you on Twitter and find out what a hustler you are in other ways, how can mm. they find you there? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm also there, but it's mostly me, 
and my dogs. You can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can follow our show on Twitter and Instagram at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredible community on Facebook. We have a group there. We have a page. The page is fine, but join our group. Look for Crime Writers On. Find the group. It is worth it. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show. You'll get Married with Podcast. You'll get Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast. And you'll get Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Now that Toby's not here, can we like say that like Balls Deep is in the name of his podcast? I think everybody got it, Rebecca. I don't think everyone did. <laughs> Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome and astute Olivia Burdett. She's patient, by the way. Patient AF. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin and I performed dramatized reenactments of Edison learning that he was picked to be cat of the week. What does that like? It's a cat. Meow, meow, meow. (laughs) On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you later. Kevin can't say meow. Meow. Guys, I swear to God, this fucking burp has been working its way up my esophagus this whole time. Lean over. Don't hit it. Good. I'll rub it. It's like a baby. I remember having to do that. Like the Heimlich. Go ahead. Trying to Just like, let it out. Don't throw up, Rebecca. It's good. You got it? All right. I think I got it out. <laughs> I swear to God, I felt it going like crawling up the whole time. Partners in crime media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.